Good morning. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all to whom it applies. I want to say happy Mother's Day to my mom, who's watching online. I spent spent Friday several hours with her. And uh, so happy Mother's Day, Mom, and to my wife. And I have a daughter who is going to have a baby this week. So uh, yes, our youngest, yeah. So um, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty excited. It's a big, big day for the nation family. I'm, I hope it's a big day for your family as well. And uh, we're excited to have you with us today to share and uh, just uh, good to see everybody out. And congratulations to all those moms and dads who dedicated this morning. So uh, we're in this uh, series for a couple of weeks here called Released, and uh, we're celebrating. We're celebrating a lot. Uh, we're celebrating being debt-free, which is going to happen here in a couple of weeks. So that is going to be awesome. you hear more about that. But before we jump too far into that, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been, have you ever been fired from a job? Don't raise your hand <laughs> like you would. But have you ever been let go from a job that you knew, <laughs> you knew it was kind of coming, you know? It, uh, you know, you were kind of expecting it. You wonder why it took them so long to decide to do that. But maybe you're in over your head. Uh, maybe you were outside of your no- job knowledge. You didn't, couldn't do the job well. Maybe something unexpected came up, uh, and uh, and uh, you just um, you deserved to be let go. You know, honestly, uh, you knew it wasn't working out very well. Uh, maybe you did something intentionally. Maybe you spent too much time on the internet. Uh, maybe you played solitaire. Maybe you did something really, really dumb, and it was coming. Uh, but when it happened. Uh, you were in a panic, and you didn't know what you were going to do because you had to have a job, right? You say, anywhere I apply, uh, they're going to check back my job references. So you're kind of in a a panic here. If you can identify with any of that, any of that at all, then you're going to relate pretty well to our scripture today because we're going to be reading a parable from Jesus. Uh, A parable is a story that has a deeper truth uh, behind it or alludes to a deeper truth. And I'm going to tell you that most of the parables are really simple. Most of them are easy to understand. Most of them are, you know, you just see the point right off the bat. But this is probably the most difficult and complicated parable that Jesus tells. And so when we first read the parable, you're going to say, you're going to scratch your head and go, I don't know if I heard that right. I'm not sure what I read there. Because some of it sounds totally foreign to probably anything Jesus, you would expect Jesus to say. But hang in there, and we're going to find the application that will come from it. We're going to be in Luke chapter 16, where Jesus tells this parable. There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called each in each of the master's debtors, and he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest steward because he had acted shrewdly. Wow, what a twist in a story. So there's this rich man. He has hired a manager, uh, a steward, to run his business. And this manager has a lot of freedom. In fact, he can do about anything he wants to with the master's money. He can use these resources. He can invest them. He can buy. He can sell. At the end of the day, at some point, he's going to have to report back. 
Um, but he has a lot of freedom. And then one day the master decides, you know, things don't seem to be going so well. I'm a little bit suspicious about what's going on here. And uh, so uh, he decides to do a, an audit, basically. Uh, you know, the guy may or may not have been stealing from him, outright stealing, but it's not managing. He's not stewarding, acting, serving, or saving very well. And so he schedules this outside audit to come in. And when the manager hears that, he knows it's bad news because he knows he's going to be fired. There's no way he's going to survive this audit. And uh, we know he deserves to be fired because he doesn't even protest. He doesn't even try to defend himself. And later on, he is called an unjust steward. So he's got it coming down the road. And he also knows that he's not going to be able to get another job uh, because the references are going to be checked there. And so he does a skill assessment test on himself and discovers he doesn't have any skills. Maybe that's why he's getting fired. He acknowledges he does, he's too weak to, to, to labor and work hard. He's too proud to beg, doesn't have any other skills as well. And so he comes up with a, a plan. It's not a good plan. It's not a godly plan. It's wicked, but it's, it's pretty clever when you think about it. And so he thinks in his mind, this is what I'm going to do. This plan is going to guarantee that I'm going to have friends when all this is over. I, I'm going to have a, maybe a place to stay so I won't be out on the street. And uh, he still had a little bit of opportunity because he hadn't been fired yet. And uh, so he still got the power to move money around and make decisions and everything over the master's books. So he started reaching out to each of the master's debtors, and he offered each one like a five-finger discount of some sort. And he schedules, um, you know, time with them and basically cancels much of their debt. Now, when, it, when you read this, I've always, you know, this fascinates me. It's just because it's such an unusual parable. But when you look at this, these are obviously not individuals that the money is owed to, uh, that, that, the, that owes the man money. These are businessmen. This is not an average person because the amount of these debts are huge. Um, the olive oil would be equivalent to three years wages and the wheat would be about seven and a half years wages. So this is a man who is selling to other businessmen and they're all kind of moving money around. There's a lot of money. It's a lot of product that's being moved here. And so in a culture where a favor given would not be forgotten, but it would be returned, the manager has saved these debtors of his master a whole lot of money. And he's also guaranteed that he's going to have a place to stay, maybe even a job. There might be somebody dumb enough to hire him down the road. You know, there's uh, always gullible people, right? But whatever he would land on his feet, he was going to be okay. Now, that doesn't always inter you know, doesn't, doesn't surprise us because that's how the world works. But what is fascinating and interesting is the master's reaction when he finds out what his steward has done, the manager has done. You might expect anger or retribution, throw this guy in jail, put him to death, whatever it may be. But the master actually commends his manager for being so shrewd and clever. He says, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty clever, pretty thoughtful of you. Maybe he said something like this, you're fired, of course, but I got to hand it to you. <laughs> you were at least smart enough in the process to provide for your future by ingratiating yourself with all these other rich people. And, and to, on top of that, I can't do anything about it without looking like a greedy jerk and hurting my own business opportunities with those guys down the road. So you get away scot-free. You know, I've always thought that's an odd reaction and hard to understand and really in a lot of ways doesn't seem like something that Jesus would say. 
In fact, it seems like it draws a very positive moral lesson from a really sinful and unjust and even a crime. A manager had done this sort of thing. We know like a lot of illustrations, it isn't perfect. So we're going to break it down here in a minute and look at it. It isn't perfect. And Jesus, of course, isn't affirming the manager's actions. He's not saying this is how you should do business or anything like that. But instead, he's teaching the kind of wisdom that even a a sinful person has in planning their future. So basically what Jesus is saying is that if a sinful man can be wise enough to prepare for his earthly future, then how much more so should a believer be concerned about preparing for their eternal future? We worry about preparing for retirement down the road and making wise monetary decisions, but if that's important to us, how much more so should a believer understand that eternity is much longer, much greater, and the stakes are much higher there? So he is giving a positive lesson from a negative example. And by the way, we can learn a lot from people who do the wrong thing, right? As well as we can from people who do the right thing. We can say, don't ever do that. You see what they did? Don't ever do that. But be smart, be wise in your decision. Now I share this story because we're kind of at a new beginning point in our church's history. I told you we were celebrating. Uh, We've spent the last 20 years uh, at this property, taking money that would be, uh, could be used for ministry. And we've been using that, paying debt and interest. And there's nothing wrong with that. Last week, we talked a little bit about the fact that sometimes you have to go into debt. We have never missed a payment in all that time. We have never even come close to missing a payment in that. So we've been faithful in the agreement that we made. But admittedly, that's not the best use of money. We could do better with what we've been given, and we're going to do that going forward because now we're going to be debt-free. I wish we hadn't had to do that, but we have had this building for 20 years, and we have seen God do some amazing things in this, in this place. And so we don't regret that. We couldn't have seen that if we hadn't built when we did. But in this series we're, talk, we're, we're in now called Released, um, which, by the way, is the initiative, as you saw a few moments ago, that we used to get out of debt. And we're wrapping this up right now and uh, and celebrating what God has done over the last uh, few months, the last 15 months, and helping us pay off basically about three quarters of a million dollars. Now, that's a lot of money to me personally, but that's a lot of money for us as a church too. Because in that meanwhile, we have also continued all of our ministries, all of our budget mission support and everything else. I don't even know how we did that. I I believe it's a small miracle, to be honest with you. But we're celebrating that. And here in a few weeks, we're going to, we'll talk more about that as well. But we want to take a little bit of time and just celebrate it because it's right now. We've been, we talked for several years about May, 2023, when the debt would be due. And now it's May, 2023. And so we might as well acknowledge that God's been faithful in getting us here to this point. And then last week we talked about release to renew our mission by the way, a mission as a church is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus and how it's time to renew our commitment to that mission as we reach this point in our history. But today I want to talk about we are released now to become better stewards, better stewards. The Bible tells us that everything that we have comes to us from God and ultimately belongs to God. So while he lets us hold it and use it for a while, it ultimately belongs to him And then it also tells us that we are to give a portion of that back to him, acknowledging him as the giver, and we do that through the local church. It's how the gospel continues to go out around the world. Now, maybe you're a little bit like the unjust steward in this story, 
And you have to admit in the past, you haven't always been quite as faithful in managing the resources that God has put in your hand, God's entrusted to you. And that if God were to do an audit of you and how you spend your money, uh, you probably wouldn't be in a very good place. If he, if he based his future uh, blessings on you, on how you've used what you have in the past, it wouldn't be good, all right? So maybe you identify with that unjust steward or manager just a little bit there. Well, here's the good news. God's a God of second chances. God is a God of second chances. And, and it's never too late to change and start making decisions that will impact your eternal status. We see that with this manager. He starts changing the way he does business real quick when he realizes the impact of his poor decisions. So let's look at the, the application of the parable because we don't just have the parable, but we have a whole other paragraph that explains what Jesus is talking about. So let's jump in the next few verses. Jesus said, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, and whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So from this thing, let me just spell out a couple things that kind of jump out at me. Number one, we must plan wisely for our eternal future, for our eternal future. That's the point of verse eight, where Jesus said, for the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. It is true that the people of this world are more concerned and more focused on their earthly future than believers are on heaven. We put a lot more, or most people put more time, more effort, more thought, more agony into thinking about managing their money for their retirement or their future than they do thinking about eternal life, which is a shame, to be honest with you. It's backward there. The manager in the parable here was a slacker until his future was in danger. He didn't even worry about management until he realized that things were in, you know, he was in trouble. And then he got real ambitious and real creative to save his own bacon, right? So planning for your eternal future is the most important decision that you will ever make. And if you don't have the assurance of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you need to get to work on it today, post-haste. I will tell you that. I think this may be the most important point of the parable. So if you don't hear anything else that I say, or then get the rest of it, get this point. If your future is unsure, you need to start making plans. The second thing I know about this is that we need to use our money in this life to reap rewards in the next life. That's what Jesus is saying. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you will be welcome to eternal dwellings. The manager in the story used what money he had access to to plan his future because he knew that money was a powerful thing. You know, today we are blessed so that we can bless others and we can spread the gospel. We are not just blessed for ourselves. God loves you, but he doesn't care how much you have in your bank account, all right? So he, he gives us our blessings so that we can enjoy life, yes, but we can bless others and spread the gospel. Our giving impacts the lives of other people 
and draws them and moves them closer to Jesus. I believe with all my heart that there is no doubt that when you get to heaven, you're going to know the impact of your giving. You're going to know who is there because you gave, and Jesus said they will welcome you into eternal dwellings. Now, there's no implication at all here that our good works and giving is going to save us. Rather, what it tells us that the help given to people that helps them move closer to Jesus will be recognized and rewarded. It is the best investment in your money that you can possibly do. The third thing I note here is that what is important is to be faithful with what we have, not with how much we have. Be faithful with what we have, not how much. Listen to what Jesus said. Verse 10, whoever can be entrusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. You know, a lot of people don't think about the power of their giving and they don't give because they don't think they have enough to be able to give. They're the idea is somebody else has more, let somebody else give. That's how people think about charity all the time. But Jesus said, if you are not trustworthy over a little, you will not be trustworthy over a lot. It just doesn't work that way. And uh, you know what? This is the beauty and the wisdom of the tithe. The Bible teaches the tithe, 10% of what you have belongs to God. And we return that to God. So if you have a little, you give a little. If you have much, you give much. If you're blessed, you're able to give more. It's not equal giving, but it is equal sacrifice. And the Bible teaches that it's a brilliant, brilliant plan of, of giving and sacrifice. But I believe that God blesses us, and then God sees if we will be faithful over what we have, and then God, can he entrust you with more? Is God able to trust you because you're faithful with what you have? You know, this may be why some people are not blessed as much as they think they should be, because they're not faithful with what they do have at the moment. Here's the fourth thing I see. If we're not faithful with worldly riches, we're not going to be trusted with true riches. This is fascinating. Jesus said, so if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? You know, our time here on the earth is temporary. We know that and is a test in so many different ways. How are we going to live life? Are we going to, you know, uh, become a follower of Christ? Are we going to treat people well? Are we going to love people? Are we going to look forward to heaven? Just like we as parents entrust our children with a little bit to kind of test them to see how they'll do, give them a little bit of money or a little bit of freedom. And then if they're faithful, we're going to give them a little bit more of that and responsible. So our heavenly father entrusts us with the little things in life, with money and worldly wealth, the little things. And if we prove faithful with these little things, then he will entrust us with greater things, with more things. In fact, the Bible's clear that whenever we thank God and we acknowledge God and we give to God as we have been blessed, then God will give us more. Very clear principle in the Bible. But you know what? This scripture seems to give us even a little different twist, a different kind of wealth. He compares this worldly wealth and little things to true riches. True riches. Now, it's a little bit vague as to what these true riches are. Tried to figure out what that was, and you know, nobody knows for sure exactly, but they are definitely spiritual things, not material things. He's not talking about, hey, hundreds of dollars or millions of dollars. He's not talking about, that's not what true riches are being referred to. True riches may mean souls, which, by the way, are the most valuable thing in the world. True riches could also refer to the treasures that we lay up in heaven 
by our giving and our serving while we're here upon the earth. So he talks about these little things, this worldly wealth, and that which is another. All of these things refer to temporal or earthly resources, money, wealth, whatever it may be. Um, And all this belongs to somebody else. Actually, it belongs to God, but it gets handed down. So somebody gave it to you, and then you're going to give it to somebody else. You're not going to take anything with you, so you just handle it. You manage it for a while, and then it goes to somebody else. But the Bible talks about true riches that can never be taken away from you. And it describes them, it says, much, there's one word, much more, uh, the true riches and that which is your own. All of these things seem to refer to eternal things. They're not things you're going to experience here, but they're things that we look forward to. Treasures laid up into heaven, which will belong to you in eternity. And Jesus said, no one will take them away from you. So you may handle stuff here for a few years and then die, and it's all gone. You go away with nothing. But in heaven, these riches will be used for eternity. So we sacrifice here for a while, and we anticipate in heaven, we're going to be spiritually wealthy. Whatever that looks like, you can imagine what that might be. Matthew chapter 6 says, Jesus said, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus is saying that the faithful manager will provide true riches um, for eternity in contrast with this unfaithful manager who provided only for himself with temporary provisions that would soon go away. This also helps us understand Jesus' words in Matthew 25, where he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So that's kind of interesting as Jesus talks about wealth and money and how we handle it here and what the eternal focus will be. But here's the bottom line of it all. How we use our money indicates who our true master is, God or money. How we handle that indicates who our true master is. Luke chapter 16 says, again, the the last verse is, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one, love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So really what he's saying is this is a worship issue. This is a worship issue. You have to pick a God, the real God or the God of money. You cannot serve both. You simply cannot serve both gods, big G and little g, very different, but there is a real God and there's the God of this world. So this parable in summary is about a guy who was concerned about his future. He had made some mistakes, admittedly in the past, been very careless in handling money, but he decided, you know what, I'm going to use money to plan my future. We don't approve of the way he did it, but he used it to plan his future. Jesus is not condoning his actions, but rather He's condoning his creativity and how that he used what was available to him, his master's money, of which there seemingly was an unlimited supply of it to plan wisely. You know, when I look at this, I think, you know what, this is wealth on a, on a level that you and I can't comprehend, all right? This didn't hurt the master. It didn't break him for this guy to do this because his wealth was immense. It was unlimited. And I kind of compare that to the unlimited resource that God has and God gives to us and how we manage those things. We're not going to break God 
by using his resources selfishly or foolishly. We're not going to break God. We're not going to impact his, his economy, that it, not that he has one like that. But God puts these resources at our disposal, and we are required to use them well. We're required to manage them well for his purpose and be a good manager. And that begins, I think, by asking ourselves who our God really is. Who is the God of our life? Who calls the, what calls the shots in our life? Do we worship money or do we worship with our money? You know, we can worship money or we can let our money be a way that we worship God as we give to him and serve him. What idols fuels our worship of money? Is it the idol of, of a status, what we have? Is it the idol of comfort, that we have everything that we want? Is it security that we fear that God's not going to provide for us tomorrow? Is it fame? Is it beauty? What, what is the idol in our life that's fueling our worship of money? And how has money enslaved us? If it's a God, it's a hard God, you know, because there's never enough of it. Maybe a debt is the way it's enslaved us, or maybe fear is the way that money has enslaved us. It's got us under its thumb, you know, because we're afraid, we worry all the time. Maybe a question like this, if Jesus were to set your budget, how would it be different? If he were to set your budget, how would it be different? By the way, it really is all his money anyway, to be honest with you. Again, we are the manager. This is where the story runs real true. And if you think it's your money, then you're in trouble already. Because it only becomes yours when you lay up your treasures in heavens that will never be taken away. That's what Jesus said. So maybe we ask Jesus, how do you want me to spend your money? How do do you want me to spend your money? I want, when we look at our church budget, I want us to ask, what is the best way to spend the money that people give because they are led to do so? What is the very best way? And we make decisions like that. I'm telling you, I think about it, you know, would I want my money to be spent in this way? Probably not. Would I want my money to be given away and maybe a certain circumstances that foolish? No, I wouldn't want to do that. And that's the kind of thing that we need to think about when it comes to managing God money. How do you want me to spend your money? I think if we did that, things would look very differently for most of us asking that question. And then lastly, why is Jesus a better God than money? If we have to make a choice, what, is, what are the factors there? Do you really believe that Jesus is a better God than money? You see, in money, we're looking for an identity. This is who we are, and money helps us become that person. Jesus gives us an identity already. We are His. We are His children. In, um, in money, we're looking for security. But really, that doesn't work well because things, things happen, right, very quickly. But Jesus is the only one that gives us security. And he's particularly the only one who gives security when this life ends. Your money is not going to help you in that day except pay for a nice funeral, all right? Some of you want comfort. Jesus is the only one that truly comforts us. Jesus is a much better God than money. That's just the bottom line there. So he is a God who is a giver, not a taker. He's generous. He's not greedy. He pays our debt to God, he actually paid our debt that we owe to God, spiritually speaking, and he is willing to work with us and love us and serve us and forgive us and even help us get out of our financial slavery and live as wise managers, who also teach our children to be wise managers as well, and our children's not just to get wealth, but to get wisdom. So do you know Jesus, and have you asked him to pay your debt and get you out, first of all, spiritually, 
the debt you owe to God. He can do that. You know, what I've noticed from this parable and just observations that the people of this world get pretty creative, even desperate to plan their earthly future. This guy was desperate. But you know, we don't have to do that. We don't have to get desperate because Jesus already has a plan for us. We just have to accept it. And we give him our lives because he has already paid the price for you and I. So I would say up front, the most important thing to take from this is that if you have not sealed, received the promise of eternal life through Christ, today is a great day to do that, an awesome day to give your life to him. Uh, we're we're going to be available. Tony will be up here and, and others maybe to step up and pray with you. We're going to have a baptism, which is amazing, in just a few moments. And if you want to be baptized, if you want to give your life to Christ, today is a great day to do that. If you want to have a conversation about any of this, I'd be glad to talk with you a little bit and, uh, and maybe take your next step on your journey. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you for the glorious gifts that you give us, one of which is mothers, the blessing they bring to us. But God, God that, that's where the list just begins because you pour out your blessings on us immensely, especially in our country. And Lord, we are, we are many ways spoiled by our blessings. But Father, help us to use them wisely. Help us to be good, strong, solid, wise managers of what you've given to us, Lord. Father, this morning as we come to you and we prepare to worship you again, Lord, we just want to lift up uh, this time of praise. God, help us to ponder the things we talked about today and consider how we should act, how we should live our lives. Father, thank you what you're doing with our church family. Thank you for decisions that are being made, lives that are being transformed and prepared for your eternity. And God, thank you for blessing us as we move from a point of being in debt to being debt-free, God, and what we can do. Help give us wisdom in managing the resources you give us. And Lord, help us long for those true riches that you give to us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship him.